0: To see examples of what we talk about on this episode, along with further information, go to bunchofdorks.com. Welcome, everyone, to Two Dimension Podcast,
1: the comic book podcast with no direction.
0: What's up, everybody? You know that song, you know this voice. It's your boy Rook. Joining me, as always, is the man who we don't know what time we're doing anything, but we'll figure it out eventually. It's Mr. Don Moore.
1: Yeah, that's me. Uh, <laughs> full disclosure: Rook contacted me today and said, um, uh, "We don't have a guest tonight." And I said, "Yeah, we do," and I mentioned who it was. This is, you know, I sent the links, and then I realized that's next week. We didn't have anybody <laughs> scheduled, and um, and there's a couple of issues I have. Uh, I've got the times confused. A lot of things have been going on, so I got to check that out. But hey,
0: we're rocking and rolling, man. But you know <laughs> what, Don? Today, today, you know what? It's it's great that it's just me and you today because today we're gonna take a moment. We're gonna take a moment to honor the one and only John Ramita Senior.
1: Yeah. Man, over Facebook.
0: I know. It's so uh, for everybody, a little uh, how the sausage is made. Today is the 14th. It is the day that he passed. Uh, The news came out this morning. um, Very, you know, 93. Wow, man. 93 years old. Should we all be so lucky? Yeah. Uh, you know, for those for those of you who – most of our listeners will, but those of you who are wondering, John Romita Sr. is credited with so much work. You know, he's credited with the co-creation of characters like Mary Jane Watson, The Punisher, Wolverine, Luke Cage, but he's also credited with being the one and only, the man who helped create the look and probably – in many people's opinion, one of the greatest, amazing Spider-Man artists ever.
1: Yeah, he had a slick style. Um, he was the art director. John Romita started out in romance comics uh, for DC. Really? Yeah.
0: <laughs> wow, that's so think, wild to think about.
1: Yeah, he. Um, I I think he was. I know he was. He did some for DC. I don't know if it's where he started. But I think he basically was a romance artist-style person. He had a slick line. Um, He came over to uh, what was Atlas Timely. And uh, when Jack Kirby and Joe Simon went away, he was doing Captain America with Stan Lee. This is when Captain America was a commie buster. Um, He did Daredevil for a while. A lot of people don't know that. And it's kind of forgotten. He wasn't on it long. But Walt Simonson today on Facebook. Walt Simonson is one of my favorites. And every time somebody passes away, Walt Simonson always says, so-and-so caught the last train out. And then he writes about, you know, his dealings with the person. It's always interesting. With John Ramita, he said, um, John Ramita caught the, the last spider web out or something.
0: Oh, man. But, um, yeah. That's... That's a way to put it, you know, I mean, it's amazing to think that this man had so much impact on the things we read, the thing, the, the look, the, the, the style of it all, you know. Uh, you know, we, we always think about guys like Kirby, we think about guys like Ditko, you know, but John Romita, he really was somebody who solidified certain aspects of the industry uh, Todd McFarlane today actually posted a video talking about when he f- first started working under him. That he was, he was, I think, four or five years into the industry, and he was like, ah, oh, you know, here I am, I'm cocky, I know it all and everything. And he'd been working on a piece, and Ramita comes over and gives him a critique, and gave him five rules. He didn't say what the five rules are, unfortunately. I'd love to know precisely what he said. But he said – he gave me the five rules, and these are the five rules I've given to every artist I've ever talked to since then. He said, at that moment, that was when my career took off, by listening to John Ramita Sr. and following his five rules. That, that's impactful to think about. Like, I mean McFarlane is a juggernaut in the industry, not just for his comic books but his collectibles, his toy series, everything. And for him to say that that conversation with John Romita Sr., that was the that was the point that his career took off. It's pretty wild to think about.
1: Yeah, um, you and Dallas are big fans of the X-Men classic, that reprint book. I, I bought the first couple, and Art, Art Adams did the covers. Uh, the first issue was one of my favorite Art Adams pieces. It was all the X-Men, Wolverines right in the front, really, really awesome pose. And uh, I thought, wow, he's he's just getting better. Uh, Art Adams' first I my song was a long shot, that miniseries. But Art Adams always had a tendency to draw really straight, narrow figures, really narrow and straight. And I thought, well, this one, you know, Wolverine was in this pose. He was kind of fleshy, you know. Anyway, probably about eight years ago on Facebook, they posted that it had Art Art Adams' original sketch for X-Men Classic. And it's exactly what I described, a lot of narrow, straight figures standing there of the X-Men. And John Romita sketched it the way Art Adams drew it, you know, with that tough Wolverine and all the stuff. And then so Art Adams followed it. I mean, he drew it, but he followed the layout. And originally it said Art Adams after John Romita, and then that was removed. Um, I don't imagine, I know who removed it, but probably John Ramita. But Art Adams' artwork was different after that. He's still Art Adams, but he had a, a different dynamic. Every time you read about John Ramita, they talk about he was kind, he was a, a nice man. Um, one thing I liked about John Ramita was he said, Marvel Comics is basically created by Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, you know, and there were some others, but he said they're artists, they're the ones that come up with the stuff and, and create the style, I mean, there was nothing like, in comics, like what those two men were doing when Marvel became a thing, and he said, I I'm an illustrator. He basically takes what other people did and, and works it and that was the thing. He had a slick line, he, he had a refined look. He knew how to he knew how to keep what was done going. Um I actually when I was reading comics, I didn't buy Marvel at the time, and by the time I started reading them, John Romita wasn't really drawing comics anymore. He was doing covers. He was doing a lot of specialty packaging things, you know, on My favorite work of John Amita's was the first Marvel Treasury edition of the spectacular Mm Spider-Man. He had that awesome Spider-Man pose. Then uh, the second was the Fantastic Four, which was nice, but the back cover had a profile of the four members. I remember when I bought that, my brother was probably five or six. And he's wow, I like that back cover. Yeah, you know, and he, um, the Marvel calendar, the first Marvel calendar was for 1975, but it came out in 74. And the the, co- the front cover of the calendar, in the bottom, it has all the you know Spider-Man, Thor, um, Conan the Barbarian, all across the bottom, little figures. And honestly, it looks kind of like a fast sketch. And I absolutely loved it. To me, that's John Romita. Um, I've read his stories in... Um, reprints and they're fine but to me he was always more of um an art director cover artist um i also liked it when he ain't gil kane on some covers there's um i don't know if it was the creatures on the loose it was a man um man wolf cover and there's a man a woman on a rooftop i remember the woman had hip hugger jeans which was the style of the time and long blonde hair and she's screaming because she sees man wolf up on Top of the water tower of, the, <laughs> of this rooftop. Well, it's a Gil Kane drawing, but he inked it, and it completely changed the look of it. You know, um, But John Ramita, he helped a lot of people, like we just mentioned. He made everybody better, and he just kept going. Um, he was always involved. And one thing, his son. It was in seventy five when Stan Lee's bullpen, he welcomed, you know, John Romita Jr. And okay. And um John Romita Jr. now is nothing like his early work. But I found out John Romita Jr. said his dad was not happy about him getting a job at Marvel. Really? Yeah, he he and he was really rough on him. But he says, You do not want to go in the industry. One, at the time, I didn't know. I never knew this. Comics are always my favorite thing, but they didn't think comics are going to be around much longer. Uh, Star Wars saves Marvel Comics. They were about to go bankrupt. And um, but John, I think that's one reason. The other one, reason is nepotism. And so John Romita Jr. was saying that um, the other guys that worked at Marvel were trying to help him out because his dad was so rough on him. Well. To me, that just tells me he's a good guy. You know, he's not. He's looking out for everybody and not just looking out for his family.
0: Yeah. Well, and, you know, hearing that senior was so rough on junior, that shows me that there there wasn't a lot of nepotism happening there, you know. Uh, You know, and honestly, if my kid was to walk into my industry, I would I would do the same. I would be. I would be rough on him because I would expect him to be everything that I know he's capable of. Uh, You know, (laughs) and and, you know, speaking of uh, Ramita jr. That's the first time I heard, I ever heard the name John Ramita was seeing juniors art. Actually. Um, He was very big um, working on things like X-Men, especially like cable um i'm pretty sure he did some x-force stuff as well um x-men of course but i didn't actually know there was a john ramita senior Uh for like a couple years uh after i was i said something about oh yeah john ramita and they're like oh junior senior and i'm like there's a senior
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah when jack kirby left marvel that was, that was massive. He yeah. left in 1970, but Jack Kirby, by this time, he was only doing two books for Marvel, and that was the Fantastic Four, the flagship title, and the Mighty Thor, which to me were both really solid Jack Kirby books. And um, at this time, John Romita, Steve Ditko had already left, and John Romita was doing Spider-Man. Spider-Man was the number one book at Marvel, best-selling book. And everybody was in a shock when Jack Kirby left. And John Romita was just saying, who's going to do Fantastic Four?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And Stan Lee didn't even look up, and he goes, you are.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and um, John Romita was saying, he thought it was strange. He didn't argue. He didn't say anything. He just did it. But he said, I thought it was strange because Spider-Man was the best-selling book. Why would you put me on Fantastic Four? But he did. He did issue 103 and 104. And sales went up on Fantastic Four. And then, you know, after those two issues, John Buscema took over, and John Romita went back to Spider-Man. And the sales, you know, of course, went down. And John Romita was talking about that in an interview. Somebody brought that up, and he says, well yeah they went up for those two issues but i don't think it was i think they were wanting to see what it would look like without jack kirby and he so, because it said and he wasn't saying after i left a lot of people would be yeah well i did those two issues and then after that they went down because i wasn't you know that's just a human thing yeah but he was basically saying he thinks it was just curiosity and then it went away that's that was to me that was john rita yeah, but yeah, I did like him. I wished he'd wished he done comic, more comic work instead of just the covers and stuff. But I don't know if he'd have the time to do it. But he did make the comics better for everybody else. He knew he knew how to direct. Um, I wasn't yeah. told definitely, but I think it was um, I think it was Roy Thomas talking about. I think John Romita was the one that laid out the covers. Uh, no, Mark Evanier. Yeah. And what he's talking about is Jack Kirby. Jack Kirby was a storyteller. He understood covers were important, and he did them, but it was the interiors that he uh, he was really into. When Jack Kirby was at DC, Car- he says and Infotino laid out the covers, You know, and then Jack Kirby built his covers around that layout. And he said, I imagine in Marvel it was uh, John Ramita. But John Ramita would lay and mary Marie Sevener was the other one. They would lay out the you know, covers kinda of design them. And uh but he was doing a lot of things that people don't give him credit for. Well he didn't really want the credit for them.
0: Yeah. Well and you know, that's actually a thing. He he went uncredited on the a few projects actually. Mm-hmm. Um one of which was um <laughs> superman versus spider-man yeah he went uncredited on that uh you know but you know it's it's just amazing to see you know he comes from a time where a lot of people have some bad things to say about certain aspects of the industry and certain people involved in it and you don't see that with john romita you know ramita is spoken of very highly by many many people actually i can't find anybody that says a bad word about him i really can't yeah you can't i know. it's well, uh
1: Paul simonson was talking about that was you know he never worked directly for him but he that's what he was saying was he was just nice he was a nice gentle man and he says i never can't forget it and he was talking about he did. Him and his wife had dealings with John Ramita. They were always good. But basically, he was saying what Rook had just said. That you know, which if you're in a position of power like that, you know, I don't think he ever treated it as a position of power, but it was a position of power.
0: Yeah.
1: And you and come. Apparently, out, the like, only
0: one he abused with it was his own kid.
1: Well, <laughs> he didn't abuse. You know, and <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. He did the same thing, but you know, human dynamics a lot of times if if um, a child of somebody in charge comes in not always but some of them i think they kind of think to have a free pass it's your your parent yeah you know and then even if you're treated like everybody else everybody else is like well he's getting away with it because he's john ramita's son exactly um and also john ramita i think was afraid that you know one the industry was me comics were never in any kind of spiral comics are my favorite thing in the world and it's odd to think that they were almost gone they say in that form but i think he was concerned about a dying industry with the sound internet but i think also was afraid his son would just be middle of the road mediocre which he didn't he he's he's reinvented himself a couple of times you know he doesn't draw like he did from the beginning He's always kind of pushed himself and added things and actually became a prominent cartoonist in the comics industry.
2: Well,
0: you know, speaking of Junior and the evolution of his art, I actually thoroughly enjoyed his earlier work. Uh, you know, the, the more sketchy look, the wider nose bridge uh, design style that he did. I always really liked that. Um, Yeah, I
1: never said they were bad. I'm just saying that his early work.
0: No, no. well, in in comparison. No, I know you didn't say it was bad, but I'm saying in comparison, uh, he had this sketchy sketch like uh, way of drawing characters. And I always thought it was very interesting and very, very uh, something that appealed to me. Uh, You know, of course, probably because I was only able to sketch characters and never really draw them.
1: (laughs) I think, to me, that's kind of a second style he did. Uh, at the very beginning, it was a typical Marvel-looking style that they did in the late 70s. Mm. And um,
0: I guess at my introduction point. Right. Too.
1: Yeah, well, we're, we're talking about a 20-year difference here. But yeah. in the 80s, he did start a... And I, I liked that, too. I especially liked it when Al Williamson was inking him, which I never would have thought would happen. But he did. He had a, a broad... Unique style, and he kind of developed that further into something else. But, um, they even had him laying out like he, John Romita Jr., knew how to break a story down. And when Bob Layton was drawing Iron Man or doing Iron Man, um, I think it was David Michelini and John Romita was inking it, and I guess they were plotting issues. Oh, i Bob Layton. John Ramita Jr. was breaking down the story and doing the, the light pencils, and then Bob Layton would finish it. A lot of people always considered it Bob Layton's book, but the reason why it was Bob Layton couldn't do a, a monthly title the way he was doing it. Yeah. You know, John Romita was talking about an inter- John Ramita Jr. was talking about in an interview that they brought him in because he could break these things down. Um, that's that's something. Um, yeah, but anyway, we're not talking about junior. We're talking about senior, who was a prince among men, and he worked for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, he did, man. You know, uh, well, to John and Senior, you will be greatly missed, and the industry is all the better for having you.
2: Yes, yes, thank
0: here, you, sir. Here. let's uh, let's go ahead and take a break here and let's come back and talk about some glorious beautiful comic books
2: you got
1: it
0: You can hear our most recent 20 episodes on iTunes. If you would like to hear our older episodes, you can find them on our blog. Just go to bunchofdorks.com and click, click on, on the Cyclops.
2: Two Dimensions can be found on iTunes and Stitcher feature radio. If you like what you hear, you can subscribe, rate, leave a review, tell a friend, or like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening.
1: All right, that was Winter Atlas, which is actually somebody out of South Carolina that my daughter hooked me up with. And I thought I played them before. It's been quite a while, but I don't have them on the blog. So you may have heard them before, and um, it's a collective. Quite nice incidental, incidental music. I like it. Um, anyway, it'll be listed on the music page, and I apologize that I forgot to put it on there. Anyway, it's been a while.
0: Nice, man. Cool music.
1: Yeah, it is. It, it's really pleasing you know music breaks you're always just struggling to find anything and when i found out about it i hadn't heard it so well, can we play some you <laughs> uh, i was really surprised that's nice it's nothing i would have thought of anyway um we mentioned in the past episode uh one with just you and i we had gone to free comic book day And we didn't ever talk about any of the free comics we got. But this is a comic that both Rook and myself picked up.
0: Oh, yes. The Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers.
1: Yeah, there was. (laughs) Free Comic Book Day. Um, They had the Fabulous Furry Freak Brothers Freak Comic Book Day 2023. Also featuring Fat Freddy's cat. Which is uh, it was put out by Fantagraphics. Um, the Freak Brothers, it was an underground comic, and uh, I remember it in the 70s. I don't know if it came out in the 60s. Uh, it was by Gilbert Shelton. There's another guy named Dave Sheridan. I'm not really, never was quite sure exactly what Dave Sheridan did. I guess he drew some of them. I ain't never heard of him until. In the 1976, um, beginning of 1977. No, it was end of 1977. Um, I was going to a Votech School uh, for commercial art, which is, you know, my, the beginning of my my career. And we were riding the bus, and my buddy says, "Hey, look at that!" And a little white brick building, and it said Oklahoma Head Shop, and it had the drawing of the three Freak Brothers standing there together. And I thought, well, that's neat, and that was it. And later I saw some guy in the, the commercial art class I went to. He was wearing a shirt for the Oklahoma head shop, had the Freak Brothers on it. I thought it was a local thing. Um, I've always mentioned my best friend I grew up with, we both wanted to be cartoonists. I think it was around, we were 13 or 14, he kept bringing up Fat Freddy's Cat. I never saw it but he was i had extremely religious family and um so he never showed it to me but he was always alluding to it and i guess kind of taunting me with it um i didn't know till years later in high school what fat freddy's cat was which i ended up loving but anyway the freak brothers uh, somebody i was in high school with brought one in i knew underground comics somewhat i've seen them zap comics but i never saw the freak brothers the stories are fun. It's about you know three freak brothers. They all have the f- sound. There's Phineas, Franklin, and Fat Freddie. <laughs> they lived in San Francisco, as Gilbert Shelton did. And one thing Gilbert Shelton said in uh, the Commerce Journal in um, late 90s, he said, uh, you know, it was about three three freaks. You know, they did drugs all the time. But he said it actually was popular with people that didn't do drugs. There, there were fun stories. Um, he made a lot of social commentary. I've never seen um, the Freak Brothers animated series. I only really know it's on one of the streaming streaming show channels.
0: I was I was going to talk about that actually. It's on Tubi.
1: Oh, is it? Oh, is it on Tubi? I watch Tubi, Tubi all yep. the time. I'll check it. A friend of mine was talking about it. He says it's good. But one thing they do is they just kind of do the, I hate to say it, the fart jokes and stuff. They don't, in in the comic itself, he made a lot of social commentary and political commentary, but it wasn't, it wasn't one-sided political commentary. It wasn't like trying to get something across. He kind of, it was one of those universal things where just he'd bring up things that was going on, but just to point them out. And it went on both sides and again a lot of social commentary um not being a hippie i was kind of surprised about the different factions of hippiedom i guess you call it (laughs) anyway this one it's um is putting all the freak brothers books out in these collected volumes um which i don't know i the freak brothers comics were never always the same size fat freddy's cat was a little tiny itty bitty comic um which in thick and they were great um i guess they were kind of basement strips in the freak brothers uh comics but i i've seen some that are tabloid size, some that are regular standard american comic book sizes and i never saw anybody the complete collection it'd just be random issues people would have sitting around to read they weren't collected they were just to read yeah so, So it's strange it's kind of like the rock and roll hall of fame in cleveland ohio which is super awesome but to me rock and roll was always an underground thing you know something in garages and you know people's cars it was never something to be in a, a polished museum nevertheless i'm happy these things are out um there was a guy i worked with that he had a bunch of them at his desk and when it would be slow at work he would let me read them um just a blast. They were fun. Um, Gilbert Shelton is a really <laughs> unique cartoonist, and this this Free Comic Book Day issue is packed. It's a lot of lot of work from a di- lot of different times. Some's in color, a little bits in black and white, which was how I always read them. Anyway, on um, Free Comic Book Day, Rook and I both got it. Um, I highly enjoyed it, and if oh, you are you. interested in the Freak Brothers, there's a bunch of stuff coming out.
0: So. The Freak Brothers, to me, remind me of childhood, which is (laughs) going to be weird for a lot of people to hear me say this. Okay. (laughs) Yes. They remind me of childhood, okay? So, let me just put this in perspective. I grew up around bikers. Mm -hmm. Uh, Like, you know, solid, like, Harley-riding bikers. But... Not the, not the Trump flag waving ones that you see on the news and everything like that these days. No, like real bikers, like counterculture, you know, bikers. Uh, so the Freak Brothers kind of always had this weird little spot in my head, of like, some of these guys, like this could be some of the people I grew up around, you know, with their zaniness and weirdness, you know. So I always really enjoyed the Freak Brothers. Um I think they may have even been in um not officially probably, but there may have been like some kind of a like Freak Brothers board game um <laughs> at some point or another where they were like going out trying to find drugs and stuff and um oh what was it? Um no, not Lost Lid Boogie. Lost Lid Boogie is um, is an event up north. Um, man, I'm going to have to look into this because I, that's going to bug the crap out of me. But I swear, like, they were the artwork in this, in this board game that I found as a kid hiding under my parents' bed uh, where, like, the whole purpose of the game is, you know, you got to find some weed, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? <laughs> The point the point of the of the board game was like whoever whoever was able to score some weed first won. <laughs> that, that was a lot of the book. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it was, it was. I mean, you know, they talked about psychedelics and, uh, and uppers and downers and stuff like that, but mostly the Freak Brothers were interested in weed. Yeah. Oh, so, so like it just. The Freak Brothers hold a little special place in my heart, man. It just—I don't know—it's this weird, weird nostalgic thing for me. Um, and like I said, I know for a lot of people that's gonna sound weird. But, you know, don't get me wrong. My parents weren't like, you know, letting kids smoke weed in their house or at all. You know, but it, it's just—I I adore the Freak Brothers. They've got this zany look, this crazy, you know, proportions and everything like that. Yeah. So. They're, they're a fun, fun comic. You know, one thing I,
1: I always liked about the comic, it made me want to draw. Uh, Gilbert Shelton's a good artist. Yeah. It's funny, if you do like to draw, there's a lot of stuff in there. Like, he would have Fat Freddy go into a um, a little market. And he would have things like, you know, at the end cap of the aisle of a, a small store. They had little racks with the clips that bags of potato chips would be hanging off of. And I don't know why he would draw those. and They made me happy.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, if, if, there was a lot of detail in the work.
1: It, yeah, always. And yeah, now? but it was pretty solid work. He he always added little things like that. Um, how he drew burger joints. Um, yep. How he drew the street. Um, the apartment. Fat Fred. You know, the Freak Brothers apartment. The first issue of um Fat Freddy's Cat that I had. It's funny because it's all in shadow the colors covers in color but right in the forefront is i think it's a pillow on the floor and it's fat freddy's cat sleeping on it real calm and it's like there's a, a light from the window shining on him everything else is in shadow and in the window it shows fat freddy coming up and he has this, his face in the window looking horrified he's come up to the apartment he sees the apartment and the rest of the apartment, the curtains are are um, are shredded. All yep. the records are on the floor, and they have cat you know cat paw prints all over the vinyl records. and They're all over the place. All the books are shredded. Um, you know, there's a little bit of poop on one of the pillows.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yep.
1: um, the apartment is completely trash. It's a subtle thing because when you first see the coveralls, you see it's oh, isn't that cute? Fat Freddy's cat is just sleeping. And then you see Fat Freddie looking in the window, and then you see all the the horror but happened in their living
0: quarters. Chaos that this cat has caused.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and, um, in, uh, the comics journal, Gilbert Shelton was uh, the cover. He you know, was on the cover, and he was the main interview. And the cover is it's in the Louvre. It's it's a color drawing, and it's really really well done. And it has uh, Gilbert Shelton sitting on the floor drinking beer, bottles of beer, and he's got all these, these comics. And it has two, and I can't, I apologize, I can't remember the politicians, but they're both standing on each side in suits, really uncomfortable, explaining to him that he's basically overstayed his welcome. <laughs> <I> <laughs> and bet. they're standing nicely. And Gil, Gilbert Shelton says, "Some, oh, no, it's not bothering me at all. And he says, um i'm just busy out reading all these great french comics and i says would you mind getting me some of these swell french beers while i'm doing
2: this
1: (laughs) and then on the inside gilbert shelton basically gave a commentary on that cover and he was explaining about the 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 two men that i can't remember he says more americans will know who these are than french people because they're in the news all the time this is in the late 90s early 2000 but and he's explaining about the louvre and you know who would get what you know what what audience would get it it was really broken down he really thought things out uh he lives in france now or has i know he moved there sometime in the 80s i'm guessing but his interviews talking about the freak brothers and how the underground comics started and how they kind of fizzled out and um He was also talking about how he worked and. Some artists like Alex Toth was adamant about never drawing from photographs, drawing from photographs, references, um, makes your work stiff. You can look at the reference, but then you just draw, you know, and draw from real life. Uh, Every college professor you ever had in drawing would tell you the same thing.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, But most people draw from photo reference. And Gilbert Shelton was talking about it. He says, well, yeah, I do. He says, I know that they tell you to draw from from real life. And I do that at times. He says, but you know, you try to draw from real life, you're dealing with the wind.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: dealing with people, you know, passerbys coming over looking and disturbing you. And I mean, he was—he seemed like a really nice, pleasant person. that um, I don't know, I really liked him. I had that issue. I read it front to back several times and then again my friend that I worked with let me all of his comics so I brought that in for him when I walked by he was desperately looking through the backs what are you looking for did you like it oh yeah he says I'm trying to find order information I want to get a copy you don't need to just take that one um anyway I, I like Gilbert Shelton a lot you can watch um you can watch. The Freak Brothers, I just found out from my buddy on Tubi, which is free. Everybody should be watching the Tubi channel. They should call it the Don channel because that's all I watch. Um, and Finnegraph putting the stuff in. Um, if you've never read them, you might check them out. They're really, really, really good.
0: That's and, um, awesome, man.
1: So I take it you, you haven't read um, any of the free comics you got at Free Comic Day?
0: I'm ashamed to say that no, I have no, not. <laughs> it's no ashamed. I I
1: hadn't read them either till this last week. Um, I I've had time. Here's another uh, book that I know Rook got as well.
0: Oh, The Umbrella Academy. Yes, I'm kicking myself. I really want to get that read that one, um, but I have not had the opportunity yet.
1: I was jumping up and down. I understand that. Like Rook, I I hadn't read them. I just read it last (laughs) last few days. Uh, The Umbrella Academy came out in uh, the late 2000s. And I just remember, I saw it on MySpace. (laughs) Dark Dark Horse Comics had a MySpace page. (laughs) And it appeared in my feed. You know, this looks kind of neat. So I found it at a comic store, and um, I remember when I bought it at the comic store, the, the clerk said, oh, man, these things have been flying off the shelf. Really? Yeah, I'm glad because they look neat. I really like the strip. I remember uh, I lent it to Dallas. This is before we were doing the show. And um, I lent this to Dallas, just all excited about it, and Dallas read it. And Dallas could not have been less interested at all. I mean – if there was a speedometer, he would have went below zero. <laughs> and when he handed it back to me, I said, well, what did you think? It looks like Magnola.
0: Well, yeah,
1: it did. Um,
0: oh, yeah, it does look like Magnola's art, but, you know, it's such a different concept. Though. Oh, well, see, it
1: I guess you'd say that's a, a look, the Magnola style, but I don't think, you know, Gabriel Bob was trying to draw like Magnola. I think he draws like himself. But I loved it. The concept, it, it was neat. And um, um, what was that? It was sweet. Something about music. was. It was just called Umbrella Academy, but it was like six issues, seven issues. And um, then they put out a second series called uh, Dallas. Really neat. Just sideways comics. I love Gerard Way's comics. I loved his um, Young Guerrilla comics. He did a DC that imprint. And um, I think they, I don't know if they did a third series. I know they had a Christmas special. And um, anyway, I was really happy to see this. Um, Gerard Wade didn't write write the, this story. It was all uh, Gabriel Bob. And it's short. It has a second part called The Witcher, which they didn't do. But it does say that, I guess, in 2024, they're going to have another umbrella academy series but I don't know, it was a short story and basically when i read it i absolutely loved it but you don't know what's going on like a lot of things in this book it's like you're seeing part of it you got a guy going into space and it's like watching 2001 a space odyssey to the theater and it's kind of neat uh, actually it's it's not kind of neat it's fantastic how he draws it and how It's like a shattered piece of glass you're looking through. Um, And you find out somebody's communicating with him, bringing him back. And it turns out to be something completely different than what you thought. And your mind kind of falls in on yourself two or three times, although you don't know what's going on. (laughs) When I was trying to find out about when the series comes out, I saw a bunch of reviews on it. And it sounds like I'm the only person that really liked it, because everybody talks about the Witcher story in the back, which I haven't read yet. And they talk about this as nonsense. I don't know what's going on. And all it tells me is a bunch of people that probably watch the TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Which, yeah.
0: listen, if anybody watched the TV show, the TV show was fantastic. But it is in no way, shape, or form a reflection of the comic book. The comic book yeah. is so far out there. You know, you're – you Umbrella Academy, the comic book, versus the TV show, is apples to oranges.
1: Yeah. Now, I, saying what Rug just said, I say that on a bunch of comic book properties that are put been put in the television film. I mean, they can be good, but they're not always actually sometimes anything like the comics. Uh, I saw the first few episodes of the Umbrella Academy television series, and I liked it. And um, But the comic is... It's own animal and it's unique, but this one, it's a sampler. And um, anyway, I read it. I know we both got it. I, I highly recommend it. I'm looking forward to the new series.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, Umbrella Academy is just one of those fun, fun books that just you don't really know where the hell you're going with it until you get to the end, and then when you get to the end, you're like, okay, wait a minute, let me go backwards for a second. We start at the beginning, and, oh, I'm getting the subtle hints now throughout the entire book. What happened? What was leading up to this? You know, it's very intelligent writing. Very yeah.
1: intelligent writing. And outstanding outstanding visuals as well.
0: Oh, The visuals are just – they make it. They really do. That's one thing that I really wished with the TV show uh, a little more – visual representation uh of what we saw in the books with the show but again other than that i thought that the i thought that the show was a fantastic adaptation
1: yeah yeah i agree i thought so too
0: you know one thing
1: about that first series that blew my mind was it starts out it has this this man that adopted what was it seven kids and they were all kind of the same and they're all wearing. School uniforms, you know, yeah. uh, the shorts with the coat and tie. Um, the girls kind of had the dress. And I said this on a past episode, with Rook was it reminded me of that. Um, that French storybook uh, about the little girl madeline
0: madeline yes, uh, it's very, very madeline esque in that in yeah. that first uh, look at them.
1: Because you had the in, instead of a, a tall Catholic nun with uh, the schoolgirls, there was a tall,
0: lanky old man.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> With, um, with a bunch of small children, and he basically explained to them, and he he gave them numbers, and then I remember one of them said he wants to be called Space Boy, and he gave him masks, and um, so he was Space Boy, but they're all kind of the same, and it told, and there was a rhythm to that beginning. I thought this is really neat. It honestly, it reminded me of the X Men, and, um, and just because of the fact it's one mentor with a bunch of students.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then it switches to the present time, and Space Boy, his head is on a robot gorilla. <laughs> Wait a minute, what happened all this time? And then when he runs into the other students, none of them are together. They're always somewhere else, and they're always vastly different. One of them is still a still a child that looks like he's a member of the Adams family. Yeah. Um, it was it was jarring i've actually never seen anything like it but in real life how many people have you known most of your life and then you see how much things have changed as time goes on you know um in comic books usually it shows somebody when they're young and shows somebody they're older and they're not really that much different you know anyway okay this is not what i was thinking um it was awesome and it's never stopped being awesome so anyway um I'm happy there's some more. I hope George Way's involved in it. But if he's not, um, I, I do like Gabriel Baugh's writing as much as his artwork. So it could be something.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing what comes next. Have you read the other other series? No, unfortunately, I haven't read many of these. Uh, there's actually quite a, quite a lot of Umbrella Academy. Um, there's, gosh... There's a ton of them
1: actually. Apocalypse Suite. Yeah, that's what I was trying. It was Apocalypse Suite. It wasn't called that in the beginning, but I guess it is the trade. The first series, it was just called Umbrella Academy, but now they call it Apocalypse Suite. The second one was called Dallas.
0: I Dallas City of Dreams.
1: Yeah, Dallas City Dreams.
0: Yeah. And then and there's you know, I mean, there's so many though. There's course. Hotel Oblivion, there's Yeah, that's right. I've got that one too. I forgot.
1: I knew yeah. there was a the third one. Hotel Oblivion, which was
0: yeah, really sideways
1: unique. Like I've said on all the things, there was a three series of new, and there was a Christmas special, and I don't know of anything else.
0: Yeah, well, there's uh, you look like death. Uh, really, there's apocalypse suite, hotel oblivion. Uh, let me think. Oh, and Dallas. Yeah. But each one has has like a whole series of books behind it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's not really like cool. a single a single issue. So yeah, each, it's like each six one, seven like, issues each. Yeah, each one of those is a volume, and then uh, Tales from a uh, Tales from a bre- uh, blah, 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 blah. Tales from uh, Tales from the Umbrella Academy. Wow, I can talk tonight. <laughs> um, that's so. There was, um, I, if I remember right, it was volume one, two, three which was uh, Apocalypse Suite, Hotel Oblivion, and Dallas. No, it was Apocalypse Suite, ho- uh, then it was Dallas, then it was Hotel Oblivion, uh, and then came uh, the tales from the Umbrella Academy, uh, You Look Like Death.
1: Oh, I need to find that one. I, like I said, there was a Christmas Special one I've got, but I think maybe that came from
0: that. I yeah, but I just, think the Christmas special was only like a single issue, wasn't it?
1: Yes, it? Yeah, it was. Yeah.
0: So, yeah, each of those was actually like uh, uh, a series of. Uh, oh, wait a minute. Hold on. I'm looking now. Oh yeah, the Christmas special was Hazel and Cha Cha save Christmas. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it was. Okay, I was looking at the titles. I'm like, wait a minute, wait. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the Christmas special. Yeah. Hazel and Cha Cha save yeah, Christmas. I
1: completely forgot about those characters. There's some. Those books are so rich in in odd things.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they are. They really, really are. I mean, like there there's such strangeness to the books, but in in like such on great ways you know um, yeah
1: like i said umbrella academy when i was reading that first series i was talking to a good friend of mine and he says you know when they announced that everybody was bag- i didn't know any of this he says everybody's bagging on it saying that's a vanity product you know project by some rock star that has you know privilege and it says it wasn't it was unique and um like i said he went to dc and did a young animal imprint and I read, I think I read them all. I, if I missed a couple, it wasn't on purpose. Um, it was really something. I was really sorry when those stopped. Um, Gerard Way does some really neat comics.
0: <laughs> yeah. You, you know, and you know, it's funny that you say that, the, the whole Rockstar Vanity Project. I didn't even know who the heck Gerard Way was. Yeah, I didn't either. The first time I picked up an Umbrella Academy, I was like, well, this looks weird and nutty. And then, like, I think it was, like, a couple weeks into it, and I was like, all right, who the hell is this guy? And I think he pops up as, like, you know, oh, oh, okay, he's a musician that decided to become a comic book writer. Well, right. The band,
1: I just didn't know who he was.
0: Yeah, I, that, well, that's it, you know. I know the band. I had no idea who the heck Gerard Way, uh, like, just telling me Gerard Way, yeah. I, had no, I had no idea who this was, you know. So but then once I actually looked into it and I'm like, oh, the dude from My Chemical Romance, which is funny because like uh Christopher's Chris is such a big uh My Chemical Romance fan. I don't think he ever read Umbrella Academy.
2: Uh, well, yeah,
0: it's,
1: you know, even even if you like the band, I don't know if you like the comic. I mean,
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that's that's part of the craziness of it. It's like, you know. You don't have to like the comic book just for uh, just for the fact that it's this dude that who's banned that you like. You know, Uh, D. Schneider did a uh, Strangeland comic. Um, I happen to be a big D. Schneider fan. I happen to be a big Twisted Sister fan. I am an SMF, Uh, but it the the Strangeland comic just eh, Mm. it was all right. That's all. It was all right. You
2: know. Yeah. I,
0: I know. You are not a Twisted fan. <laughs> no,
1: no, But I was, well, I wasn't talking about that. I was just thinking about Umbrella Academy. I wonder how much I would like it if they had a different artist. You know, Gabriel, Gabriel Bob really pulls it off. Oh, yeah. But I was thinking about those young animal comics. Um, I like the artists that were doing all those. I mean, they were pulling them off. But if you had like a you – no, know, I mean, see, we were just talking earlier about John Romita. If you would have had John Romita drawing them, I don't, I don't think I would have enjoyed the comic so much. Um, it was a straightforward, you know, mainstream comic think, artist doing it.
0: But that – you know what? I don't think Romita's style lends to the story.
1: Yeah, that's what I mean. Umbrella
0: Academy. Hmm.
1: That's what yeah. I mean. But sometimes you got these rock stars that do a comic and they, they get some – they get a comic artist, but it's not really suited for what the idea is. And I never read Strangeland, I don't know, but I was just, you You, you know, when you mentioned that, it just kind of sent me off down a, another rabbit hole of thinking. <laughs> it doesn't matter. All don't right.
0: Don't get off topic. Don't get off topic. This is not the show to get off topic. Yes.
1: <laughs> Every time we have a guest, I always tell them, "Is look, this is, it's a free form show. It's your show. We talk about your work and whatever you want to talk about. We like to talk about your past work. And it says, and if you get off topic, this is the place to be, no problem. And we've had guests, talk yeah, you can't get off topic on
2: this show. <laughs> <laughs> All
1: right, well, since we're talking about free comic book day, I'll talk about a third one I bought, or got, didn't buy, I got for free. But I don't think Rick got this. Mexican.
0: Mexi kid? I don't remember seeing that.
1: Yeah, I um I picked it up. That was the first thing I picked up. And I, I like the cover, I like the lettering of all things. And then when you look through it, it's a kid talking about his life. And um he's got um all these pages talking about as a kid and his family and how um they're taking vacations. He's got maps, he's got diagrams. And he's got, um, he's got cutaways of his, um.
0: Oh, how cool is that? A cutaway of the RV. (laughs)
1: Yeah. But, um. I don't
0: know why. I love cutaway
1: art. I do. I do, too. I do, too. I've never made any, but I like to see it. Well, no, I I did in high school a couple of times. Anyway. He was talking about his family. It's a large family, a lot of age difference. And um, his parents both worked. And um, they took uh, massive vacations. But at one point, they got this RV, and the older kids drove um, the car, I guess, the truck. And these kids and their parents were in it. I guess this is a, a book, a trade. Um, I think it's from Fandegraphics. And it's a delightful story packed with family history, culture, closeness, and a Winnebago full of laughs. But, um, I, I really enjoyed reading this. Um, kind of strange I can't find where it is. Um, maybe it's not. Um, uh, Penguin Graphics. And it's coming in August. It's not even out yet. But it's, um, Anyway, I really enjoyed it. I, I bought it for the artwork. I, it was the first thing I picked up, and then I put it back down when I saw Conan and I saw Freak Brothers. I thought, well, so I put it. And anyway, I got got the books I just talked about, except for Conan. And then uh, I thought, okay, I got one more, so I came back and got Maxi Kids. And um, I've loved every one I got, but this is kind of my favorite one. <laughs> it's um.
0: Wow! Holy I, crap! I just looked this up. Pedro Martin is uh, is the creator of Mexican. Yeah. Pedro Martin is a former Hallmark artist.
1: Yeah, I can see that.
0: How great is that? He he goes from doing Hallmark stuff to <laughs> a comic book. I love that.
1: Yeah, it's a, uh, well, It's I think it's going to be a. a, a
0: Looks uh, like it's a trade paperback coming yeah. out August 1st uh, of this year.
1: You know what? There's a lot of people from Hallmark. You know, Carrie Cowan. You ever show me the, You show me one of the comics? It was Wonder Woman, and they were, Superman was asking her why she, um, you know, the bullets are shooting off uh, Superman's chest. Wonder Woman's whacking them with her bracelet Why do you do that? And so she stopped, and they're bouncing off her or breast, her breasts are bouncing around. Oh, I got it. You know, her eyes are rolling. That's Carrie Cowan. He's the one that did the... Um, the ghostwriter with a big head on a on a moped had the dc yep. checks on it yeah
0: yes i love Gary that. Callen,
1: I love him he's on the sidebar of the blog and um he was a hallmark artist he retired from him but a lot of a lot of really strong artists worked for hallmark he even brought up carrie callan that when he started working there it was exciting because the cards were using cartoonists, you know, peanuts, you know, stuff like that. And he said the cartoonists would come into the offices all the time and talk directly to the, you know, to the powers that be. And you see the cartoonists in the office, you could talk to them. But they come in and meet, you know, plan things out. And he says that all went away. Now it's corporations, you know, corporations like Marvel or Disney buying Marvel and coming in and going you know, Marvel was always a corporation, I guess, but he said the whole culture changed. You never saw the cartoonist anymore. You just saw a bunch of suits and high-powered attorneys coming in. Never thought of that. Um, So anyway, but yeah, Mexican, I'm looking forward to it. I think I'm going to pick it up if I ever see it.
0: Nice. Very cool.
1: Um, You know, when Rook and I were talking. He says I haven't read anything. He says no problem. I've read a lot, and there's two books I've been wanting to talk about, and I never even got to them. So <laughs> <laughs> some other day, we don't have guests, we'll um we'll talk about them. If I can remember what they were by that time.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, all right. Well, I guess this is about it. As I bring up all the time, we're always looking for fake comic book covers to use on the Facebook page and the Facebook group to announce a new episode. Um. A lot of people always send stuff in, so I don't know if you can like it. I don't ever feel that way. We always like love everything. It. Yeah, they're always great. As a matter of fact, I took one of the things Rook did and I said, Can I make a cover out of it? And Rook was,
2: Oh I don't know you
1: know, I says, No, everybody loved it. It's nice. <laughs> so if you have something and I can reformat it to fit the comic, you know, the, the, the dimensions. If you do on your own, just make sure you leave space for the the text at the top it says "comics" and enough space for me to put the fake price and the date or the episode number. Uh, we're always looking for music, like the one I have today that I don't think I ever played. <laughs> so, uh, same thing when I the few times somebody has sent one in, it's always I don't know if you're gonna like it, and they've always been wonderful. People enjoy the music breaks we always have when we don't have a guest. And on the sidebar of the blog, we got merchandise, which is T-shirts. We're not going to get rich off these things. We're just using them to assist us on the hosting fees that come up once a year. We have three different designs. Uh, Listen to the show. Wear the shirt. Rook?
0: Everybody, check us out at bunchdorks.com. Click on that Cyclops. You'll find examples of what we talked about on this episode and all the others. Until next time, everybody. Read. More common. Comment.